sorry. Hello, welcome to Conversations in Calvinism. I'm Dan Chapa, and I'm joined as always by a Turton fan. How's it going? It's going great. Always glad to have these conversations with you. And this time, not fighting each other, or at least that's not the plan. Oh, I, I'm sure it'll come. Yeah, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> we'll probably, that, that means we'll probably disagree more, but you know, we'll see. You never know. So, so today we're here to talk about uh, free grace and uh, specifically, um, some of Robert Wilkin, or I think he goes by Bob Wilkin, in his book, um, The Four Views. Um, so we'll look at that in just a second, but so we'll dive right in. Um, but this is um, more so more content in preparation for, I guess, an upcoming debate on free grace, um, looking into those issues. I know you also have a debate, and I'm welcome to also, I um, would love a chance to uh, to join you in your preparations on the King James only. And, um, is the King James free of all errors? So I think you have that coming up the first week of January, if I'm not mistaken, on Donnie's channel, uh, Standing for Truth. Yes, it's either the first or second. I can't remember the exact day right now, but yes, it's it's coming soon. So less than a month yeah. away. Right, and so I I have a debate on Donnie's channel as well as so on Standing for Truth, and it's um specifically on free grace against um, Joshua Gibbs. And hopefully in this um, discussion, we can get to um, some of the core issues. Now, I'll just say from the from the jump, to me, from looking at it, at least so far, I have three big concerns with the free grace-ish um, camp that I hope to address in the debate. The first is the idea that a true believer can stop believing and die an unbeliever and still go to heaven. I think that's, to me, that's the number one issue that I have uh, with the whole thing. Um, the second key issue I think I have is the idea that a true believer um, can basic, can almost completely stop bearing fruit. Now, maybe they bore fruit for some time, but they stop bearing fruit. They stop having good works at all. Now, not talking about somebody that's just... Um, struggling or going back and forth is and that's not the issue it's somebody that's completely um you know living like the devil so to speak um and never comes back and dies that way um that's another issue in terms of um well, what exactly does faith inevitably lead to uh, good works at, at some point along some somewhere around the, the line does faith always bring you back to god or um or not that's so that's a second issue and then a third issue i have is more of a hermeneutical issue but um what i've been seeing in, in my debate prep so far is i would say quite a few cases where in, in when exegeting passages They'll, they'll look at things like people that are weeping and gnashing of teeth or being burned by God uh, in judgment, and they'll say, oh, no, that just means loss of loss of rewards rather than the fires of hell. And that is um, concerning, both because both because of the, the method in which they're interpreting the scriptures. I don't think they're accurately comparing scripture to scripture to, to come to the right understanding of, of those passages. But more importantly than that is, you know, what message are they sending? <laughs> um, specifically, you know, don't, 
it, it's it's it certainly softens the impact if the danger is losing your reward versus the danger is burning a hell. Not to straw man the position. Of course, they would advocate that we perform good works. It's just um, those warnings are there in scripture to be a guardrail for us. And if they um, make the warnings not about the fires of hell, but about something else, um, I think they've kind of lowered the guardrail. And um, I think that's concerning. So those are the three big things on, on my mind um, to be addressing in this upcoming debate. Um, so actually, why don't I leave it at that? Do, do you have uh, some initial thoughts before we dig into um, Wilkins content? I don't think Wilkin. I have any anything sub significant to add. Uh, yeah, Wilk. Yeah, it's. I think I there. I must have heard the family name Wilkins with a S before. So I may make that same. I may make a speak O from time to time. But I believe he is Robert N. Wilkin or Bob Wilkin. And, uh, I see he uses Bob on some of his books and not on other books. So I'm not sure if he has a preference. But we're not doing it to be disrespectful. If he has come to not use that anymore, I don't, I'm not aware of that. In any event, uh, he is an author. I, I noticed that he's an author that has co-authored with Zane Hodges, who's another name that I do typically associate with this movement. But there's not... As far as I know, and I could be wrong, but there doesn't seem to be a formal leadership such that, you know, you, if you're, if you want to say someone's part of the Southern Baptist Convention, you can kind of look if their church is a member of the Southern Baptist Convention. If you want to know if someone's Roman Catholic, you there's rules that Roman Catholicism has, but when it comes to this particular movement, I don't know if that has if there's that level of associational rigor such that I could say this person is in, this person's out. And I know that during my debate with Charles, he pointed to some people that he associates with the free grace position who come even earlier. So anyway, whoever that's. Worth. Yeah. Yeah. So from my side, this is about as in-house as you can get because uh, I'm a Southern Baptist. There are definitely a large number of Southern Baptists that hold this free grace position. There are people there are definitely people in my church that hold this position. There are people in my Sunday school class <laughs> that hold this position. Um, so it's about as yeah, yeah, it's about as in house as you can get from from that standpoint. Doesn't mean that it's not important. Um, so, anyways, with, with all that said, let's uh, let's launch in if that sounds good to you. Sounds good. Let's go. Okay. Let's switch to this view, and I will do this. Okay. Can you see the screen? Um, oh, yes, can you, you can. I, I, I can see. I gave you a thumbs up. It was probably didn't show up very well. And uh, there's just a helicopter in the background, so I was muting myself. So it doesn't sound like we're being invaded by whoever is persecuting Alex Jones. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, is there something in the water affecting the frogs? Okay. Anyways, I'm sorry. So I, I'm switching to, on my side, I'm switching to the book. So um, I can't see you at the minute, but I will switch back and forth. So this is from the book, um, Four Views on the Role of Works uh, in the Final Judgment. So um, Robert Wilkin or Bob Wilkin is one of the authors. Thomas Schreiner represents the Calvinist position. James Dunn has his own view, which is um, it's, it's an interesting. And then there's uh, Michael Barber, who represents the um, Roman Catholic side. And so they, they're focused on eschatology and specifically the role of works at the final judgment. 
um, where Bob Wilkin from the free grace side is saying that at the final judgment, works will not be judged at all. There's a sec separate judgment in, in which the believer's works will be assessed, but that's not at the final judgment itself. Whereas uh, Schreiner has taken the position that um, works shows our justification. And then um, uh, obviously on the Roman Catholic side, they're going to say, that it, it plays a substantial role, that it's the, the meat of our justification. Um, I won't get into those details just yet uh, on, the, on the Roman Catholic side. Um, but let's let's look what um, um, Bob Wilkin has to say here on perseverance, free promises in John's gospel. And this is um, Wilkin who's taken the free grace side. So he says, uh, Merrill Tunley famously calls the gospel of the John the gospel of belief, since the word pistuo, I believe, occurs more often in this book than any other New Testament book. Jesus said, it is, it is the one who believes in him that has eternal life. The one who, believe, uh, who believes will not perish, John 3.16, will never, ukme, hunger, will never thirst, ukme, thirst, in John 6, 35, will never, who may, die in eleven twenty six. The Lord has affirmed, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me um, shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life, John 5, 24. John 3, 16, for example, uh, concerns whoever believes in him, not whoever perseveres in him. Clearly, the one who simply believes in Jesus Christ has eternal life. The New Testament is united on this point. So um, let's, uh, well, actually, let me, let me just keep going. Uh, this is a pretty short section, and then we'll just comment on the whole thing, I guess. Not once in John does Jesus ever say that one who uh, one must persevere in order to obtain or, uh, or retain eternal life. Rather, he promises eternal life, eternal security, the moment one believes. Once a person drinks the water of life, um, believes in Jesus, he or she will never thirst. John 4, 14 and 6, 35. No perseverance is required. Even the Samaritan woman understands Jesus to mean that a one-time drink would quench her thirst. Um, John 4, 15. The one who eats the bread of life, another uh, figure of Christ, uh, for faith in Christ, shall never hunger. It's a simple point. Perseverance in faith or works is excluded by these such promises. Uh, so that's a very strong statement. Perseverance in faith is excluded from such promises. We find no statement of Jesus declaring that a believer must persevere to retain eternal life or show evidence of it. Jesus told Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, may... Uh, the, Though he may die, he shall live, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. That's John 11, 25, and 26. Uh, Jesus said to Martha, do you believe this? She uh, replied in the affirmative. Jesus does not rebuke her and say, but what of, uh, what of your life? How do you know you will persevere? Is it not possible your faith is mere intellectual assent rather than a persevering faith? No, he accepted her profession. Mind you, these promises are decisive. They do not prove anything about the relationship between perseverance and rewards. They only say that, that in John's gospel, Jesus did not make perseverance a condition for eternal life. How could he? For John himself wrote, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Okay, um, back to you. So, 
All right, so I, that's that's uh, the end of that section. Um, that's quite a bit to to be commenting on. So I guess we can take it apart piece by piece. Um, so, um, I mean, I guess I, uh, I'll just ask you: Do you have some initial thoughts on this? I think there's a lot of truth to what's being said, um, but I think there's a few problems with what's being said. But um, what uh, what what was your first impression off of uh, these texts that uh, are being brought up? I feel that. Bob Wilkin is arguing from a premise that's not stated here. And that premise that he seems to be arguing from, which isn't stated here, is that faith is our faith, an act of our faith, is the ground of our justification rather than just being an instrument of justification. And therefore, since he thinks it's this single act of faith that serves as the ground of justification, since that's now a historic reality and can never be taken away. And since all in his understanding, all the promises are tied to our performance of this uh, act, then it's of, no, it's of no consequence as to those promises, what comes after. Okay, so let me see if I can state that back, especially in terms of the distinction between the, the ground of our justification and the instrument of our justification. So by instrument of our justification, I think you, um, what I take that to mean is um, that God is justifying us and he's not just, so faith is good, but it's not because of any goodness in faith that God is justifying us. He's, it's just the occasion on which God justifies us, but he does so based on, uh, frankly, his free grace. Um, so whereas the opposite opinion of it's the ground of our justification, like, like faith, um, let's see, I guess, basically, um, Certainly any form of uh, faith earns eternal life or merits eternal life or is rewarded with eternal life or that sort of thing, um, I guess is the, would be the opposite where faith is there. Like if faith earns eternal life, um, then that's more on the other side where it's an act. It, did I understand your distinction correctly or did you, or maybe you could um, flesh that out a little bit more or, um, yeah, did did I, did I did I capture the sense of that distinction properly? I'm maybe maybe so, and the I guess the I guess there's a sense there's a difference between and I and maybe this just goes back to some categories that aren't necessarily the way we analyze everything today, but there are sort of these Aristotelian categories of formal cause, efficient cause, and so forth. And one of those causes is an instrumental cause. Um, and an instrumental cause is the means by which something occurs. So we, 
acquire justification through faith or by faith, but it's not that our faith is the ground or basis of our justification such that we're justified on the basis of our faith. I don't, it's not necessarily a super clear distinction, but ultimately it becomes important in a situation like this. One of the illustrations that's used is faith is an empty hand that grasps hold of Christ's righteousness. Now, if you think about it in terms of that metaphor of the empty hand grasping on Christ's righteousness, then it becomes more apparent that we continue to need Christ's righteousness as the ground of our justification, as the, re the way by which we are considered just. And that, therefore, it makes sense that we also need to have faith holding that. So it's not that if we didn't have faith, how, how is it that we have Christ's righteousness? And the if, on the other hand, faith were the basis upon which we are justified, then, like I said, then it's just a historic act, something that we did, and we're justified because we had this, we did this thing in the past. So I don't know if that's a helpful distinction yeah. or not. Yeah, I got you. So, yeah, so like if... Um... Okay, so uh, let me let me see if I can. And this might be an extreme example. So, like, let's say let's say someone believes in works righteousness, where like you perfectly fulfill the law, right? But we can't perfectly fulfill the law. We didn't, so we've sent. Okay, so God nixes the law and comes up with a new law, which is believe, right? And he's you know, and then if you believe, then you're justified, and it's it has nothing to do with Christ. It's just, okay, you fulfill it, like if it's, if, it, if it's like the law and you fulfill faith and then you've you got yourself justified, then in that case, yeah, the, that is the exact opposite of whereas the faith is not itself the grounds of our justification, but rather the instrument and then Christ and his righteousness is the grounds of our justification. Is, is that a probably a better way to summarize it than I tried before? Well, I, I'm not sure uh, about making that judgment. <laughs> I'm not sure. But I think that the way you just made, I think the way you just explained it is helpful. And I think the way you just explained it is, is actually maybe a better way of explaining my discomfort with some of the rhetoric that I hear from the free grace camp. In other words, I, I do think that some of them do act as though that there's maybe maybe none of them would say you ever could attain salvation through works, which is fine. But they but what they seem to be suggesting is rather than have this burdensome laws that you had to fulfill, you have this less burdensome law that you still have to fulfill. And before you were saved by by, care, by obedience, scrupulous obedience to all these laws, but now you, you're saved by obedience to this one law, and you only have to do it once, yeah. so it becomes much yeah. easier. I, I think we're I think we're tracking. I think we're on the same page. Yeah, yeah. In, but that, that, that if that was the case, that would be the grounds of our justification, not the instrument of our justification. Right, and yeah. And while there might be some way you could still call that gracious, that isn't 
the concept of grace that Paul has in mind when he talks about it's not of works. When he says it's not of works, he doesn't mean just that the works that are that it's of are easier or that it's only of one work, not of works plural. That's not his point. His point is that our ground of our justification isn't the things we do. It's Christ. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why faith is significant. Faith is not significant just because it's an easier task to accomplish. That it is, I think it's fair to say, in some ways, it is easier to accomplish. I mean, it's not as you know, living a life of perfect obedience to the law is truly impossible for human beings in this life. It's, the only person who ever did that is Christ. But to have faith in God, of course, that's also a gift from God. I'm not going to say it's not a gift from God, but it doesn't have the, it, it it's not it's not described on the same terms. It And there are passages that I could understand someone could look at and think that I'm wrong about this analysis and say, well, remember Christ says his yoke is easy, his burden is light or something like that. Or he's come to take away the the these uh, dif the difficult laws that, that we're held down by and a new commandment and things like this, phrases like this that might make people think, oh, that just that the more difficult laws from you know, 6,000 or 4,000 BC to, to zero or one BC have, or even to 33 AD or whenever someone make, makes the shift have now been replaced by some other laws. That's not the, of course, that's not even the, the analysis that that's provided in the New Testament, but that is, while that may be tempting, that's not what, that's not the point. The point of faith is as a different, fundamentally different approach to merit. It's not just merit through a smaller number of works. Right. So if it's okay with you, um, yeah, let me share my screen back and let's look at uh, some of these texts that uh, were referenced. We can look at just John 3.16 since it's so familiar. Um, hopefully we won't come to come to blows. Um, we'll try <laughs> to stay, steer, steer away from the, uh, the second half of the issue, verse. But, I'm just kidding. Yeah. The, the, like, the, the, yeah. So for God to love the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So I think when I look at um, Bob Wilkins' analysis, I'd have two pushbacks. The first is, I think, on the word believe, that it's kind of this active, ongoing, let's see what it is, um, that whoever believes, this duo, uh, present active active participle, and I think the participle has a sense of continuation. And uh, let's see. So this um, this book is Life in the Sun by Robert Shank. Um, so he says, let's see, the most constant character is that it. Uh, in the present participle is it denotes action and progress while the um, the present indicate uh, while the present indicative does not invariably denote progressive action it generally does oh, okay so this is actually so his comments are specifically on um, John 10 27 but it's it's a similar text um, 
But actually, so I'll, I'll leave that be. So the, I guess, uh, or maybe we can look at that passage next. But the question is whether pistuo indicates ongoing action because it's a present active participle. Um, let's see. Um, we'd have to dig into a different grammar. And I apologize that, uh, okay, I was looking at a different text. We can look at John... 10, but it's, I think the same is true here, that a present active participle is not a one-time past action, because that would be a, an aorist or a punctual aorist, but this is not. It's an active participle, um, so it indicates ongoing belief. Um, okay, any thoughts there as to whether believing is here indicated to be an ongoing action or a, a one-time event like uh, Bob Wilkins is, um, is basing his argument on. Well, uh, here, uh, what is that? Turton likes to say, we distinguish. <laughs> so let me distinguish if, I, if he says it that way. I can't remember, maybe. But anyway, so on this particular point, I would distinguish between two different things. On the one hand, to the idea that definitionally it ref it must refer just to a single one-time event is one thing and that it can only refer to an ongoing event is a different thing those are two different cases so Great. uh I, I think it's for somebody like someone making the, the argument that Wilkin, uh, Bob Wilkin is making, he needs to establish that because if he doesn't establish that, then the argument seems to fall apart. And I don't think he can establish that convincingly. I think he has to speculate about that. And I think it runs into some contextual problems, but I'm I'm hesitant to go to the opposite side and say the fact that it's a participle completely rules it out. And may I provide before I come to the context, which I think kills Wilkins' argument, can I give you the counterexample that I think makes it harder to argue the like that it's absolutely certain that it means ongoing just because of the participle. And an example of that is okay. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So if you remember in Revelation 22, it says, blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have a right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. For outside are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loves and makes a lie. And the those whoever loves and makes a lie, if I'm not mistaken, those are the uh, philon is the present active participle and the uh, peon or poion, excuse me, poion is a present active participle as well. So now those are connected with loving a lie and making a lie and the word, you know, so there's that there, but the 
the point that I'm saying here is just because that participle is used, I wouldn't think that someone is only stuck in the lake of fire for so long as they continue to love lies and make lies. Although I don't think that they would ever stop, but I don't think that's the point of the verse. I think that this is, this can be used in a different way as well. Now, having kind of softened that point, I think contextually that the the opposite extreme, the idea that the participle can just is just fulfilled by a single act. Uh, do can you scroll or uh, navigate back to John three again? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. So now in in John three, we have the two verses later, John three eighteen. It's just beyond the scroll area. It says, he that believes on him is not condemned. Now, if that, I believe it's still participle here. I can double check. Uh, it is. So it, the person who's believing on him is not condemned. That part sounds great. That's the part that we, together with the free grace people, would like to seize on. But there's, the other side of that is, that the one not believing, but that's also a participle. So if a one-time believing and a one-time not believing are of equal significance, we now have an odd contradiction. So the only, I think the way to look at this in verse 18 is either you have to, you can't have this grammatical rule that it's just automatically fulfilled by a one-time event in fact, in this context, it makes more sense as describing the present state, even though maybe it's not like a grammatical law that it has to always refer to the present state. Participles, or participles, participles can take this can take time from other uh, contextual clues and so forth. But here, I think it it almost certainly must be about the present action that's on this present ongoing action because of that contrast between the one who is believing and the one who is not believing. Yeah. So I think uh, I was thinking the same point on um, verse 36, he that believes on the son hath everlasting life, but he that believeth not on the son shall not see life. Okay. So anybody, I, I won't use Bob as an example, but let's say there's, um, Sally, before she comes to faith, she is not believing on the sun. And so that means she shall not see life. Now, if you take this shall not see life as eternally settled because she's an unbeliever, then it doesn't matter. You know, like later when she becomes a believer, doesn't matter. Her future is locked in as not shall not see life because of her one-time act of not believing. If not believing is not an ongoing state, but rather a one-time act. Yeah, so, yeah, I agree. I, th I think we're making the same point. Um, but I think I also wanna say that in addition to believing being an ongoing act, the, the future, that is associated with that act shouldn't be taken 
absolutely apart from that condition. In other words, both are both sides are conditional. Believers get life, unbelievers don't. And if a person, if an individual switches categories, then they they have switched futures. Um, do you agree? Uh, aside from the switched futures thing, I, I'm not comfortable with that wording. But the, uh, well, I mean, yeah, I think I what I think you meant by it, I agree. I just don't like that phrase, switching futures. Okay, so so Sally the unbeliever, right, is satisfying the condition uh, he or she that believes not, right? And so Sally the unbeliever's future is shall not see life. If you said like switching their apparent future or the predicted future or the expected future, then I'd be okay. It's just the idea of switching an actual future, I would have a problem with That's Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. No, no, no. no. Yeah. Think of this as more like uh, Alice from Twitter. (laughs) No, Alice from Twilight. (laughs) That kind of creature. (laughs) But, you know, connected with this, I think to come back to the the point you're raising, though, about the grammatical difference, I do think, I think you've mentioned this already, which is if it were, if it were an aorist, whoever has, whoever believed that Jesus Christ, uh, whoever believed on Jesus Christ has eternal life. If that's the way it was always expressed, then of course you wouldn't say anyone who uh, doubted is condemned. You would just say that whoever believed is uh, uh, has eternal life and whoever has not believed does not have eternal life. But if that was the point, if the point was you have to fulfill, if you have to do this thing, you have to accomplish this act and, and that's the, and it's a done deal. And that's that. If that were the point that John is raising, there is a natural way he would say it. I'm not saying John always has to speak the way that would be most helpful for our clarification, but I think for the argument that Bob is making it would seem like it he like it needs to be in that form and i don't know i mean there are places that talk about believed in the aorist i think pretty sure well so to this point okay so there was that part let me reread this bit from wilkin so um uh not once uh, in john does jesus ever say that one must persevere in order to obtain eternal life rather he promises eternal security the moment one believes once a person drinks the water of life believes in jesus he or she will never thirst john 4 14 no perseverance is required even the samaritan woman understood jesus to mean that a one-time drink would quench his thirst forever john 4 15. maybe let's uh let's go to john 4 and take a look. And here, here. Okay. So this is John 4, 14. But whoever, whosoever drink of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Um, 
it's a very surprising verse for someone to go to with the idea that apostasy is possible because you know if the water that's that's been given him springs up like this everlasting fountain how is it supposed to stop <laughs> that's that's the idea that he you drink once and you stop drinking isn't the point the point is you drink once and now you have this fountain of water springing up inside you not not that you stop drinking it is a it, the the start of the process is a one time event but the the process of a well of water that springs up is this idea of a fountain a guy not not just a, uh, a, a recording you know, looking back on something past it's not just that you'll never thirst again that's not where the verse or that's not where the thought ends that is part of it you're never going to thirst again but what why because you have this well of water springing up inside you <laughs> that's that's uh that's opposite of this idea that you could have, you could never thirst, and therefore never, never again drink. Yeah. So okay. So if if water is the gospel, and drinking is believing the gospel, then the gospel is always inside this person. Now, what if the water is life? Then and drinking is believing. Then. I could maybe see um, Wilkins' point. Um, let's let's look at. Well, okay. So let's see. So the the, the woman's response says, uh, "Sir, give me this water that I thirst not." So the reason why she doesn't thirst, right, is because she has an everlasting spring. Um. Yeah, I mean, the implication is that the woman is going to drink from this eternal water. Let's see. So what is the, let's see what the drinking, what tense that's in. Should be aorist. Second aorist active subjunctive. So because they... Because it's uh, hypothetical. Yeah, if they drink, yeah. Whosoever drinks. And maybe. Okay, I, 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 I want to give some benefit of the doubt to, I, at least initially, I kind of see his his point here um, that it doesn't seem like even though the water is eternal, it, it's not necessarily saying that the drinking of the water is eternal. But I don't think it's hmm. so. I, I think I think the part of the problem is that it's uh, it's an analogy and can only be pressed so far but what is the main point that jesus is saying whoever drinks believes of the water what is the water um that i give him so the, the see, jesus is definitely doing so doing a play on word whoever drinks of this water shall thirst again but whoever drinks of the water that i shall give him 
shall never thirst. So there's two waters. There's, um, and I think the, the woman is at this point is probably confused and thinking, oh, well, he's just got another supply of physical water, whereas he means spiritual water. Let's see. Um, I think there is a distinction, uh, an important distinction between the water and the life. It springs up into everlasting life, but it, the water is the water is that source of life. So if you think about it in terms of uh, the Word of God, for example, it's a it's the source of life, and now it's inside the person. So they have this source of of life inside them. Right. Now, yeah. on the idea of this carnal carnal Christian idea. Now the person no longer has faith. They no longer have the word of God inside them, but somehow they still have eternal life. That doesn't work. So, okay. So let's say that the water is the Holy Spirit. I wonder if on the free grace side, they'd say that a carnal Christian still has the spirit inside them. I don't know. I guess we got... We'd have right. to, that's what cross-examination is for, right? No, I, that's just what they would probably say, yes. How could they say no um, if we're sealed with the Holy Spirit? But on the flip side, I get your distinction, right? So the, the water is leading to life or springing up into life, but it's not the life itself. Um, so if the, if the water is a spirit... Drinking the water. So, but what is to, what is it to drink this spirit? See, that's the, that's the thing. I mean, that's why. Okay, that's why I'm I'm afraid to push an analogy past its basic point. The basic point that that Jesus is making is, if you believe, then you'll be saved. Um, but the woman doesn't get his language. So, when 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 Wilkins pushes it a little bit saying it well even the woman understood no she no she didn't understand it um she's definitely heading down the wrong track and so to understand well she understands it to be a one-time drink that's well beyond jesus's point of how much you're going to have to drink uh in fact it's not even a hundred percent a slam dog that drinking just means believe although i suspect it does um Let's see. Here, by the way, if, if you don't mind me sharing one other so, uh, tangentially related verse. Oh, sure. Uh, I, I posted it as a comment. Uh, but here it says, Revelation 21.6, And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. Now, my reason for bringing that up is uh, there is this, I mean, that the quality of giving life is the, one of those qualities of water. There are other qualities of water, like the ability to, to take away uh, dirt, you know, the, the cleansing power of water. But I think that when it comes to the context of thirstiness and water, Usually the, con the, the intent is that water is something that we receive that gives us life. Uh, and 
I would be interested what if if uh, I know you're going to debate a specific person, not an entire position. But I so I would be kind of curious if we know how Joshua Gibbs interprets that particular concept, or even how Wilkin uh, interprets it more specifically. Uh, but anyway, I, as you said, some of this is appropriate for cross examination. Although in my in the ideal world, we come to the cross examination already knowing what we believe to be the position of the other person. So we don't get too many surprises in the cross-examination uh, section, ideally, but you know, sometimes there's yeah. no good answer, so. Yeah, I mean, I wonder, okay, so just, just the phrasing, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. They certainly will never thirst for a lack of water, but is he saying that the drink is that they won't continue drinking not necessarily that, that, that I think that is beyond the point. <laughs> uh, the main point is that there's this eternal water and eternal life available that that Jesus himself provi provides. I think that's the point, but I don't think Christ's point is that the drinking is short-lived. In fact, I don't even think he's necessarily saying that if he's saying it could be that, they shall never thirst again because they'll always have water available <laughs> inside them. Yeah. Anyways, I think right. that's the anyway. point. I mean, yeah. that the, the the can you imagine if the point was you only need to drink of this water once? Then why mention this fountain of water? It would, the idea would be not that that you just the the point is you do need the water. You need water in order to live. It's an ongoing need you have, but that need will be met. Yeah. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Okay, let's see. Um, let's see if there's more here from Wilkin that's distinct. I don't think so. Um, so, I mean, I, I think... Okay, so I guess... I'll just make one last point, and then I think um, I'll, I'll, I'll be done on my side. So the main thing is this. The free grace position is exactly right in that this is not a perseverance. It conditioned – the promise isn't conditioned on a perseverance in works here, and that it's really not, and it's – Per, works or perseverance in works is not a condition for our justification. It's not an instrument of our justification. Um, and that is true. And that's what's best about the free grace position. But I think the free grace position, at least that I've seen so far, is, I think, unfortunately, uh, Joshua, you're welcome to listen to this, but I, I think Joshua himself sometimes struggles with this distinction between perseverance and faith and perseverance and works as if they're the same thing. And if if they're the same thing, then I'm, you know, th then those that hold that you can lose your salvation are basically Roman Catholics. So the Roman Catholic position is, you know, you can um, believe and retain true belief and commit a mortal sin 
while still being a believer, a true believer, but because of the mortal sin, if you died, you'd go to hell. And that is not the same thing as this idea of, well, you have to continue believing. And so is the perseverance a perseverance in works versus a perseverance in faith? Now, Wilkin is quite clear. He says it bluntly. Perseverance in faith or works is excluded by such promises. So Wilkin is, is taking a very definitive stance that the believing is a one-time action and then that's it. And um, rather than this perseverance of faith. Now, I think the, there's a separate question that comes up. Well, what happens if you stop believing? Okay. Now, that's not what this passage is necessarily addressing. And other passages to me indicate that that doesn't happen, right? That, that Christ preserves and protects you from. In fact, even this passage may indicate that, that Christ protects our faith. Even though the faith is an ongoing faith, the fact that, like you said, our future is settled, that believers will never perish, itself implies that the believing is going to continue, I think. In, in, in one way, I, I think you could make an argument or a case for that. I mean, if you want to. I, I would look to other texts to do it rather than here. But I think you probably could... Um, in a very subtle analysis, say, well, if this person will never perish and believing is a condition for that, then the believing's got to keep going. I, I think that's probably a possible argument someone could make, but I wouldn't necessarily make it, certainly not based on this text. Um, I, I would make that argument based on other passages, but the fundamental distinction that I think is important that I think the free grace position sometimes blends is perseverance in faith versus perseverance in works. And I think this is conditioning eternal life on perseverance in faith. I don't mean to take a step backwards if you've already moved on, but, no, I, am, go ahead. but, but I am very curious because you mentioned before, maybe he's interpreting this as the spirit. And, and then you you kind of paused, and we I, I may have distracted you by going some other direction. But I wanted to return to that because I, I've, I've uh, switched up the Bible here on you from the Samaritan woman encounter to the statement that Jesus made on the last day, the great day of the feast, where he okay. said, if, if, anyone's, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believes on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water, but this he spake of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, I, I, I note this because there's that similarity. It's it, Whether or not it's the same metaphor as in John 4, it's certainly a very similar metaphor that... You come to Christ, you thirst, you drink, and then there's this outflowing of water. In this case, it's called living water. In the other case, it's like the uh, a water of life or something like that, a similar statement. There are a lot of similarities between these two. But here it specifies that he is talking about the spirit. 
But my my question for someone holding the the free grace position who didn't who inserts that john that the promise that he'll never uh thirst again is a promise to those who believe do they will they also acknowledge first of all the thing would be do they also acknowledge that this passage in 738 is also a promise to those who believe and, and it's such a similar promise that they hardly could say that, that it isn't a promise to him. And then if they acknowledge that point, then isn't this a, a, a promise of the spirit being in the person? And if that's the case, then how can someone be carnal as opposed to spiritual and have the spirit? It seems as though you can yeah. really only be one or the other. Well, no. I mean, I think you can have a, a a battle within you between the flesh and the spirit, but what you can't be is a hundred percent carnal and be a Christian and that have the Holy Spirit. Happen. Right? Yeah, you can't. It's impossible because we've been born again. We're we regenerated, and the, we have the Holy Spirit living inside us. So that we cannot be considered a hundred percent carnal once we're saved. And although there's a, a a very a, uh, a level of carnality because of that struggle that you describe there isn't a level of having the spirit there's there's not like you you're at like 20 percent spirit spirit isn't a thing it's a person and you either have the holy spirit or you don't now the effects that the holy spirit has in your life could vary that, that's fine but the, the person, they could be completely carnal, or they could be carnal and spiritual, or in glory, they can be completely spiritual. But the point is, if you have the spirit, to say that the person is uh, completely carnal and doesn't have, isn't spiritual in any sense, it's, it's, hard, it's really hard to understand how they could even have that position. Right. Do you, do you, do you happen to know what, they, what, I mean, I don't mean to be, Rude, because I just don't know the answer of what they would say on this point. Well, I'll, I'll keep reading Wilkin. Maybe he's going to address it at some point. I suspect they're going to say that 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 we maintain this believers. Well, whatever. What does a believer mean? Like he, he doesn't mean a, somebody that perseveres in faith, but someone that believes at one point is going to have the spirit for the for forever. I think that's what his position is going to be. But it's worth worthwhile. I'll I'll keep reading. Hopefully, you know, maybe we can have future episodes going through more of uh Wilkins position here. And but I mean, this is a this is an important first start and I appreciate this. Um wouldn't it be interesting if we wrapped up in under an hour? Uh <laughs> that doesn't sound like us. But um but you know, I think I think we've covered uh, we I think we've covered a lot of ground and some important stuff that's going to be definitional definitional in this debate. Um, I see that you're in the King James version, so just to prove that you're not King James only, if you could switch that to something else. Anyways, uh, <laughs> no, I joke. Um, but is, I is there a better translation or, or of that of that particular verse? Is that was that your point? 
Oh, is there a better translation of the verse? No, I, no, I'm, I'm joking around. It's oh, just okay. I know you have a King James uh, debate coming up whether the King James is free from all error. So I'd love to participate in your preparation. That'd be cool. If you, uh, shoot me some invites and we can hop on here and, and chat about that as well. But uh, this is really good. And like I said, I, I plan to keep uh, digging into uh, Wilkins co uh, content and um, I guess so. Uh, go from there. Sounds great. I, I look forward to the same. I, I will happily invite you on any time when I'm doing the debate prep for that King James. I've I've done one short episode. If people are interested, I don't know how short it was. It was it was relatively short. I went through like ten categories of errors that I think are in King James. But I did emphasize it is my favorite version. It's a version I usually use, and I guess this this uh, today's presentation is no exception. So anyway, with, uh, without, uh, I will pause momentarily just to see if Dan's coming back. I think he is. Hey, yeah, I'm back. I just uh, had to let this guy in before he tore my dare door down. That raises that question that everyone knows uh, so well, who let the dogs out? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right. But anyway, uh, <laughs> someone let them in. We can see that. So that actually occurred a couple of times during your debate as well, but not from your side, if I recall correctly. CJ had to bring the dogs in a bunch of twice. So yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, it was great talking with you about these things. I will, uh, like I said, I'll happily invite you back on uh, to discuss the King James topics and other things as well. Or have an ongoing discussion of Ken Wilson's book. I've, I'm almost ready for that discussion uh, for the next segment of that discussion. So, uh, Patrick offers you a bribe. Twenty? Twenty dollars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if only that's, that's if very only... funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'll take I will take an explanation how compatibilism is not a contradiction. That'll do it. That, okay. that's all? <laughs> all right. Just the explanation or one you know, it has to be acceptable. <laughs> There's uh, anyway. I don't want to get too, too sidetracked. I really appreciate uh, our discussion. We have managed to wrap it up in under one hour. So, thanks to those who have been listening. I did see uh, narrative discourse had a nice compliment as well. Good discussion, guys. I appreciate appreciate that, and I look forward to the next time we interact. And oh, one more time, thanks again. We uh, we may do something else, but thanks again to the one uh, K subscribers of the channel. We do appreciate it. Clearly, Dan's presence here has made a significant difference. It was never this, the <laughs> subscribers were never this high before. So, all right. Bye.